You're listening to the Girls in Property podcast, where we explore the world of property, meet amazing guests to hear their stories and support you in your property journey. Hello, Girls in Property fans. It's Simon here hosting again today. Sophie and I are at uh, at home. We are between recording some interviews with some lovely guests via Zoom, and we thought we'd just take a quick 20 minutes to answer a few burning questions. This time, we're not answering your questions. We're answering my questions from right back at the beginning of Sophie's property journey. I was working at the ambulance service. She started getting all this knowledge about property, and we came home with all sorts of weird and unusual terms that I personally didn't understand at all. And I hope that a few of you out there also are wondering a bit more about some of our core subjects. How are you doing, Soph? Yeah, I'm good. And I think this will really help people starting out because there's a lot of abbreviations and terms that people just throw around in property. And so sometimes it's just nice to go back to the start and say, what what the heck is this? Absolutely. Yeah. I can't remember the first time you came back and I asked you, oh, well, how would we fund that kind of project? You said, oh, well, we just JV it. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, we'll just JV it. We'll set up an SPV to sort it all out. I had less idea. (laughs) Mind blown. (laughs) (laughs) I had less idea at the end of that conversation I did at the start. So let's get cracking. Big picture. What's a buy to let? So a buy to let is a house that you buy to rent out. So um, generally you'll need a 25% uh, deposit to buy the house. So if it's £100,000, you need to put 25k in and then you'll need to speak to a mortgage advisor or a broker to get a special buy to let mortgage, which allows you to not live in the house and rent it out to somebody else. And what kind of person would want to buy to let as opposed to any other type? What kind of lifestyle as a landlord does it suit? Um, sometimes they're called vanilla buy-to-lets <laughs> because they're supposed to be fairly bog standard. You find a house, you buy it and you rent it out. So you'll generally get a managing agent to help you. Um, and then you can just increase these, buy more and more, have a nice portfolio that's giving you quite a long-term cash flow. So these are for people that have already got possibly a property that they live in, their own house? And this is more of like a starting a business where you've actually got a bit of history in terms of earnings or assets behind you that you can borrow against. Yes, I think a buy to let uh, investment is perfect for someone who's got their own home. It's maybe gone up in value so they can remortgage and take a bit of money out um, and they can or they've got a bit of cash to reinvest. Um, So you take that cash. You only need 25% of it to put down on a deposit. You can get a mortgage for the rest of it. So it's a great investment already. And then it'll be a cash flowing income for however long you hold it. And it's an asset that is increasing over time. Property generally increases every year. Yes, we have crashes, but generally it increases. So your assets going up in value at the same time. And nothing in this podcast constitutes financial advice. (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) we can't promise your assets are always going to go up forever cool okay and so that's buy to let what about rent to rent so rent to rent is a strategy that a lot of people get into who are interested in property but don't have hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of pounds to invest in a property it's a great way to have a cash flowing business but it really is a business that you're going to be working in every single day so rent to rent i can break down as you rent a property from a landlord as a commercial entity you take control of it you operate it normally on a very long-term lease three five or ten years and you will then rent it out to your own tenants 
Um, it's not subletting. <laughs> subletting is doing that illegally without permission of the landlord or owner. So it's doing it definitely with permission. You've got a contract in place and it's really great because it's so accessible. So you can start renting a house, you know, next month, potentially. You can do it up a bit, add value and rent it out and you'll have that for months. So it's a really nice cash flowing step. Um, we look for a minimum profit margin on our rent to rents for at least 500 quid a month. Some of ours are paying over a thousand pounds a month and you can just keep marketing, keep adding on properties, systemizing your whole business and process so that you might have 10 properties paying you 500 pounds a month. So it's a lovely way of building your cash flow and you can then get your deposit for your buy to let or to start buying properties to have them in your own name. Brilliant. And that's kind of a, a good starting point for anybody. It's certainly where we started out, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and within Rent to Rent, obviously, I advise anyone listening, this is just very broad strokes. We've got lots of episodes with loads of information on how to do these things. Um, so within Rent to Rent, we've got a few different flavours, haven't we? We've got things like HMO, SA and social housing. Mm-hmm. How would each of those work? So an HMO is a house of multiple occupancy, or as we might know it, a shared house. Um, so it's good when you are getting into property, you're going to see all of these strategies and they're all going to look really shiny and amazing, but try and pick one and just niche in one. You don't want to be running HMOs over there, Airbnbs over there, everything else. You just need to niche into one. So the first one and the one that we started in was HMOs, um, and within HMOs, so the shared houses, it could be professionals, could be really high end professionals or it could be like kind of contractors, road workers, blue collar type professionals. You could also do student houses where you've got tenants for an entire year, or you could do social housing where you take on um, a service provider and they will take the property on for a number of years. Brilliant. So there's lots of different flavours in there and different probably intensities of work, I'm guessing, because I'm guessing if you hand over a let to a load of students... If it's a rent to rent, you just set it up at the start of the year and then that's kind of it in terms of bills and maintenance and that kind of thing. You'd think so, Simon. (laughs) But I would say to anyone doing any of these strategies, none of them are particularly passive or hands off. You know, you do need to get in there. Whichever way you go, the property, you need to take care of it, whether it's your asset or whether you're renting it. You need to keep a really close eye on it. We do quite high-end HMOs, but we're still managing it proactively. We're still there one or two times a month, communicating with the tenants, making sure the maintenance is okay. Good, good. So talk to me about flipping. This seems to be the thing that most people that aren't in property seem to think property is all about. Buying somewhere, doing it up and moving it on. But tell me a bit more about the nuts and bolts. So flipping is buying a house, adding value and then selling it again and hopefully making a big, nice profit when you're doing that. Is that just a load of paint though? Well, it all depends on how much value you can add. So the best thing you can do is adding rooms, whether you are, you know, splitting it up a bit, adding an ensuite. Um, You could add an extension on within permitted development Um, or it's, you know, upgrading the kitchen, upgrading the bathrooms. But your whole plan will be to increase the value of the property to more than you put into it and selling it afterwards. Um, This all depends on market conditions. So you do need house house prices to be increasing. You do need to know that the value you're putting in is going to increase the value of the house at the end. Okay. And if you were just starting out, um, 
that sounds like you're going to need somebody that knows what they're talking about to look at each deal rather than just assuming you can buy any old Hulk at auction um, and do something to it to make some money out. How do people go about planning that out? So if you're not sure, the best thing I would say is make friends with an architect in your local area. Take them for a cup of tea, become her best friend and say, look, I'm looking to do quite a few projects here. Can you give me some tips? Maybe start looking at suitable listings um, that have maybe been on the market for a long time or that have been most reduced online um, that really aren't selling. They're the ones you want to go for. So go for old, disgusting, tired properties make friends with an architect and say, what do you reckon we could do with this? Um, and they'll be able to show you, oh, we could extend it or maybe we could change the floor plan a bit to make it more desirable and add the value. So I just wanted to pick up on one thing in there. What is permitted development? So permitted development is building that you can just do without seeking planning permission from the council. So it's often extending your building back or extending it up through the roof. So putting a third floor on or another floor on, um, but you'd need to look at council guidelines and dive a bit deeper into this but again it's a really good way of adding value to property by just extending it without having to go through planning applications and getting objections and things like that if you're not sure to start with and that kind of thing is going to vary locally depending on the council and the best thing to do is probably to go and speak to an architect or somebody that knows about planning yeah go and do some research dive in as much as you can and learn as much as you can because it's a really good strategy Mm, excellent and You mean it's a good strategy in terms of it applies to lots of the other things we're talking about here. So knowing about permitted development will inform decisions you might make about your flip, but also your buy-to-lets if you're looking to add value there. Yeah, 100%. A phrase that doesn't sound like a sentence to me, purchase lease option. (laughs) That sounds like three different things. Purchase lease option. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. So purchase lease option or PLO, (laughs) um, it basically means that you're taking control of the property without buying it, but you have the option to buy it. An option is a legal term, which means you can buy it if you would like to. So you might um, find a property you really like. The owner's not ready to sell it yet, but you agree a price to sell it in a certain amount of years or months for a certain amount and you will rent it until then. So you can then take control of the property, maybe add value, do it up, get some cash flow going, and then you can buy it later on using your option. This sounds like it does what it says on the tin, commercial to residential. So this sounds quite overwhelming and scary, But it's a really good strategy. So commercial to resi means basically taking um, something that has a use as an office and changing the use under planning to flats or residential. Um, And this has recently become a lot easier because the planning's changed. So a lot of people are now taking advantage of this to change offices into flats. What's the joint venture? So a joint venture is an amazing thing and it could be lots of different things, but it's basically partnering up with someone to buy property. Um, So, for example, we started our rent to rent business in HMOs. We got to know the management, the systems, the tenant find, everything you could ever know about HMOs. We learned it. Um, And then we came across investors who had loads of money. Um, but not any time to find deals or manage them or refurb them. So we've created joint ventures with investors where they put the money in, we put the expertise in, we buy a property together and we'll run it as an HMO. Um, So that's called kind of equity JV because you've both got equity shares in the company or house. 
um, another joint venture would could could just be a loan. So if someone could lend you some money for a fixed return, so they might lend you a hundred thousand pounds, and a year later you give them back a hundred thousand pounds plus interest. Um, you could also get crowdfunding. So there's a website called crowdproperty.com um, where you can submit your plans to. So I submitted an HMO conversion plan and we had funding within 24 hours. So they said to me, what's the plan? What are the numbers on it? And tell me about your experience. They'll analyze it. And they said to me, we'll give you 60% of the purchase price and we'll lend you 100% of the development cost. Wow. Bang. Just like that. Yep. Um and you can also look for angel investors who, again, are investors with loads of money, not much time. Why would someone give you their money? Like hundreds of thousands of pounds? <laughs> I've pounds? often wondered this. Well, money sat in a bank is really not getting, you know, it's it's not invested well. The savings rates aren't good. The interest rates aren't good. If, if people can find property deals to put in and you can supply those deals, it's really, really good. So I'd say to anyone, there is money out there. You just have to say what you do, say what deals you've got, tell people what you're doing, and it will get their interest, 100%. Awesome. And that's where you get the money from. How do you then structure it? And this might lead into what is a SPV, what is an SPV? So SPV is a special purpose vehicle. Um, it can be a limited company or an LLP or a PLC or something else. But it's basically a place where property investors can buy property. So you can put it in this SPV and then it's got nothing to do with your personal assets. You can have a number of directors so you can do it as a joint venture. Um, so if Dave over there wants to give us a couple of million to invest, we can pop it in the SPV and then we're all joint directors of it. We are all shareholders of it. Um, properties can be purchased and held in an SPV. Um, you can get your mortgage through that company, your insurances, and there's no limit to the amount of properties that it can hold and it can buy. Okay, so it's a way of packaging up the deal or each deal and the property and then also removing your personal liability from it if it all goes a bit wonky. Yes, uh, sometimes there might be a personal guarantee needed within a purchase or within a mortgage or something like that. But yeah, often it's to take the liability away and to just tie up the property investments. You know, you might have an SPV with one investor here, another one here, your own one here, and they're all packaged in little companies so that they're all separate. I see. Awesome. Um, just to round out on financing then, what is a bridging loan? What's it for? Where do you get it from? So bridging loan is basically short-term finance, often used for development. So you might buy a house with a normal buy-to-let mortgage, say it's the £100,000 house, so you've put 25 k in, the bank have given you 75 k and you're then going to need, I don't know, 20 or 30 grand to um, really quickly refurbish it. So typical mortgage will be over a long number of years, whereas bridging finance is a short-term loan. You know, it might be six months, 12 months, 18 months, but they do have really high interest rates. So you just need to speak to a broker about it. They'll normally be really happy to talk you through how it works, how to pay it back. And then it's just really important to put all those figures into your spreadsheet, see if it still stacks with the rates, and then go for it. Beautiful. Awesome. Um the last little niche that somebody might want to explore starting out in property then is deal sourcing. Um, sourcing a deal is just sitting on right move, looking up a property that looks like it might have some value ad adding potential and then sending it to people, right? 
No. <laughs> I mean, it possibly could be. If you, um, deal sourcing is a great way to get into property. Really, really great. Um, but you, again, you need to niche, you need to specialize, and you really need to solve problems for people. So, um, Put yourself out there. Tell everyone you're a deal sourcer and you can make really good commissions. You know, you can be making a thousand pounds, five thousand pounds, ten thousand pounds here and there. But you do need to be compliant. You know, there's anti-money laundering and financial things that you really need to look up before you get into deal sourcing. Um, There are courses you can do in this. And then it's about getting to know your investors, how they want to invest, where they want to invest and what they want to do. So if you're really lucky, you'll get this millionaire business person or investor or banker or footballer who says, "Okay, I need you to do a series of investments for me. And I'd quite like to do HMOs, social housing, because that sounds good. So then you need to run around finding suitable properties. You need to be negotiating with landlords and agents and you need to be packaging up this deal to someone to say, this is what you're going to get. If it's a right move listening, listening. If it's a right move listing, then you're not going to have done much work on it. But if you've chatted to people and you've negotiated and you've structured things in, you're adding a lot of value. And actually not many people have that amount of time to be running around finding deals. So if you can make yourself a specialist in that, you can make really good money. And would that also require building relationships with estate agents as well? So you can get the drop on things that are coming onto the market, um, go out and speak to those people first so they know about you? I would say the key to deal sourcing is networking. Because then you'll get deals coming to you. You really will. Like even through our stuff, we sometimes find deals. We're like, oh, maybe it's not for us. Maybe it's for someone else. Um, So yeah, agents are really good. It's good to have brokers, insurance people, uh, landlords, just go networking. And deal sources need to be everywhere and just known by everyone. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to woman-splain to this clueless man um, all these terms that um, come at you when you start looking into property. Um, if anybody else has got questions, we're going to start doing more of these regular Q&As. Um, so reach out to us and definitely send us voice messages. They sound great when they go into the podcast. Um, have you got anything you want to say that we haven't talked about? I'd say if any of these take your interest, just research, 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 Um, go to networking events, find someone who's doing this strategy and just follow them. We've had loads of interesting guests on the podcast, so follow them. People are always interested in chatting to you in property. Um, A small percentage of them will try and sell you a course, (laughs) but most of them will be happy to say, yeah, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? They'll talk you through numbers. And it's a great bunch of people. So just get out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that. If you need to get hold of me and you're desperate, I'm Simon Does Pods on Instagram. And I'm Sophie Invests on Instagram. And we're girlsinpropertypod at gmail.com. Girlsinpropertypod on Instagram. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.